Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. Well, it has been quite the journey for Jonah over the last couple of weeks. We've experienced seeing him run away from God. We've seen him now thrown into the sea. He's swallowed by a whale. He's praying out to God for mercy and, and promising things to him in those panic moments of his life. And, and hopefully as we've journeyed through this, it's been an incredible journey for you, a challenge for you as you navigate your relationship with the Lord, where you reflect on what's spilling out of you. You reflect on who's in the boat with you. You reflect on how, how you're responding to God. Are you running into his call? Are you running away from it? It's, it's talking about those different things of, of understanding that the God who loves you has gone ahead of you in your future and prepared things for you. Like how differently has your week been this week as you navigate the truth of that? that your God is for you and he's with you. And so today I want to talk to you about Jonah the Reluctant. We saw Jonah the Runaway, Jonah the Rescued, and now today Jonah the Reluctant. And my question for you as you jump in this week is, how do you respond to change in your life? How do you respond to change in your life? Do you embrace it? Are you excited about it? Do you anticipate it? Are you just filled with like, man, this is going to be a great new adventure when change comes? Or do you meet change in the hallway and you immediately think, "Mm, I don't know about you. you. You seem a little shady. You seem like you're up to no good. Like, How do you express yourself when you come face to face with change in your life? And I've actually studied a lot about uh, personality behaviors and the data shows that about 70 to 80% of people, they like things slow and steady and measurable and just really, really low in this like whole change thing. And about 11% of society, they, they respond to change with this full of optimism, excitement. This is going to be a new adventure. We get to meet new people. It's going to be fun. And about 7 to 9% are actually like real drivers of change. It's not only do they express themselves well when it comes to change, they're the ones rocking the boat to make sure that change happens, right? It's a small percentage of people. And so it's important for us to evaluate that. And and I wanna just do do a quick experiment with you right where you are. And I want you to ask yourself this, how many of you would say, I just love change. I embrace it. I'm excited about it. Like right where you're on your phone and your laptop, just raise your hand, give a little wave in the comment section. Like, that's me. I just love change. And then what about for some of you? You wouldn't say you love change, but you also don't hate it, but you you just have a lot of questions about it. It's like, well, okay, like I can handle some change, but let's just kind of Keep it low key. Let's not go too crazy with it. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you are? And then the last group, you guys would just say, I hate change. 
get off of my lawn. Don't come at me with this craziness, you psycho people that want everything to be different. Slow and steady wins the race. Don't you get it? Like, if that's you, give me a quick hand raise right where you are. And I think it's important for us to, to understand that about ourselves. Are we embracing change? Are we hesitant? We're reluctant in change? And those of, we're just completely opposed to change. And I love, I love telling you guys about my, my crazy, cute little girls. And as you know from the story, Audrey's always up for an adventure. Audrey's always up to something. But Brooklyn, Brooklyn is, is far more measured. Like she wakes up in the morning and she needs an agenda. She wants the plan for the day. She wants time. She wants to know how we're driving there. She wants to know what car seat she's going to sit in with her booster. Or is she going to be in Mimi's car? Is she going to be in daddy's truck? Is she going to be in the pilot? Like, how are we going? Is Audrey going to be with us? Is Mimi coming? Like, she wants all the information. And the issue is, if you change any of the plan that you set in the morning time, She's going to like straight up hyperventilate and she's going to have a panic attack because you said that we would do this. And now you're saying we're not going to do this. Like she just she can't handle it. She wants things to be ordered. She doesn't like change. She's up for an adventure, but you got to give her a heads up. You can't just spring it on her. She needs to know. And for me, with, with my, my pirate blood. Like, I can't be contained by these little things called plants. Like, sometimes you just got to mix it up. Sometimes you're just going on an adventure, and it drives her crazy. And what's interesting about many of you is that you get to these places in your life where you're, you're comfortable, and you actually start to kind of complain about those aspects of your life that frustrate you. Uh, man, I just, I hate my job. My job drives me crazy. My... Oh, my parents, my parents are just wearing me out. They're, I just don't understand them. They're just so weird. I, I just, you know, my, my house, my house is too small. I feel like no matter if there's one piece of paper out of place, it's just too small. It's out of control. I don't like it. My friends, all of my friends, they're so weird. They're just weird. I don't know how we became friends. They're just, they're just weirdos. And we can communicate like our, we, how we hate these things until someone tries to change it. Hey, uh, we're going to move you to this new department in the company. We feel like you're going to do a great job there. Whoa, whoa. Not today, devil. This is my job. What do you mean change me to a new department? No, this is my job. Like, an hour ago, you were telling everybody how much you hated that job. Then someone wants to come and change it, and you're like, no, not going to happen. Hey, hey, honey, like I heard this new house came on the market. It's a lot bigger than ours, and, but it's going to need some work, and it's going to need some, some like TLC. But I think it could be a really cool opportunity for us. What's, what's wrong with our house? Our house, it's so homey. It's so cozy. I mean, the children were born in this house. Why would we ever leave? It's like, you've been complaining for six months about how, how small the kitchen is and how you hate it. No, we can't go to a new place, right? Have you ever been there where you, you complain about something the moment that it's going to change in your life? You're like, freeze. No, not going to happen. Why is that? Because the truth is, People don't resist change, they resist loss. People don't 
resist change necessarily. They resist this perceived feeling of loss. We feel like we're, we're losing something. We're losing comfort. We're losing something that's familiar to us and our walls go up. Our defenses come in full force. And this is exactly what happened with Jonah. God comes to Jonah and says, hey, go to the evil people of Nineveh. Go to those, those foreigners who have absolutely nothing to do with God. Go over to those people and then give them the same forgiveness that I have given you, my children of Israel. And something in Jonah broke. It wasn't that he was just resisting this change in God's behavior. He was, he was dealing with the loss of like, wait a minute, why? Why them? What's going on here? It's not only are you changing, you're asking me to do something crazy, but like something in him is breaking. And, and I just wonder, like, if Jonah was struggling with the fact that for generations, God had called, called Israel his chosen people, his, his special people. And now all of a sudden, God's heart was expanding, his forgiveness, his grace, his love is now expanding to these people who are so far out of his love. Not only are they just a different people group, but they're an evil, broken people. What if there's something in Jonah that broke of like, I thought that was just for us. I thought we were special. We're losing that special connection to God if you're giving it to someone else. And not only to someone else, it's, it's one thing, God, for you to like rescue a couple families from our enemies, but you're going to rescue a hundreds of thousands of people you're going to rescue a whole city i think jonah was dealing with this not this change necessarily as much as it was, maybe it was this loss of specialness and this connection with god that god was expanding this to someone else so we see jonah run away he puts the lives of the sailors at risk, he's thrown into the sea, he's swallowed by a whale. He cries out to the Lord. While he's in there, he makes a vow. Hey, I will, I will obey you. Have you ever been there? God, if you just show up in this one way, I promise I'll never do it again. Here's Jonah, Jonah 2, verse 9. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows. I will, I vow, I promise you, God. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. So the whale brings him back to this place that he was meant to be all along. He spits him out on the shore. And maybe the Lord gave him a couple of days to like catch his bearings and like get all the seaweed off. Maybe take a shower, a little bit of dial soap, but figure this all out. But then God comes back and listen to what his message is this time. Chapter 3, verse 1, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, this time, I love those words, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command. Shocker. What happened last time? He went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. What's interesting to me about this is that the assignment didn't change, but Jonah's experience had changed him. God didn't change his heart. 
God came right back to Jonah and said, so go back to Nineveh, tell them the message that I told you before. This time Jonah obeys. But I think it's it's interesting because Jonah learned so much in that experience. He learned that, that there was no escape from God's presence, that no matter where he went, God would be there. When he's running away on the boat, when he's in the depths of the sea, in the belly of a whale, he feels God's presence near him, with him, for him. He learned that God's heart for people is unstoppable. God's heart is unstoppable when it comes to showing his love and his grace for them. He learned that God's power is is limitless, but his reach is personal. I just think it's so interesting that nothing had changed except everything had changed. The assignment was exactly the same, but Jonah's understanding, his experience, his perspective was completely different. And as I was looking at that, I thought to myself, some of you, you're begging God to change your situation. You're begging God to show up and and fix it, to move mountains, to to just get you out of what you're going through. But there's there's times where we need the lessons from the storm in order to prepare to, to survive the next one. There's times where we're begging God to change the assignment. And he says, no, you need the lessons from that storm in order to be ready for the next one that's coming. There's things that you're going to learn and experience and grow in that's going to help you later on down the road. The assignment didn't change. There there are times where the storms of our lives are actually disguised as opportunities. Moments for us to experience and learn and grow in our dependence on God but also to learn lessons that are going to help us when we face even greater storms later in our lives. There are times when the changes in your life will actually lead you to a place that you didn't see coming. But the big question is, is when God gives you an opportunity, are you responsive or are you reluctant? Are you responsive to his call? Are you reluctant and hesitant? You see, when when your story changes, are you responsive to that? Does it connect you with God even more? Are you reluctant? Listen, listen, I get it. When when we planted a church and six months later, COVID came and blew up the entire world, our story changed. It was drastically different. But what about you? When when all of a sudden you become a homeschool parent because school is shut down. Like, how do you respond when, when your story changes? What happens when a, a family member dies in your life that you were close to? When your story changes. What happens when a relationship breaks down and, and it was so strong for so long and now it just feels so weak and it's crumbling and it's barely holding on by a thread? What do you do when your story changes? When your best friend decides that her and her family are going to pick up and move to another state. What do you do when your story changes? What do you, what do, you do when God answers your prayer? Wait, 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 God. Not like that. That's not how I wanted you to answer this prayer. That's not how I wanted you to, to do this. It, it was supposed to be this way. It should have been this way. God, it would have, it would have been better if you would have done it this way. It's interesting 
our eight and, and five-year-old like to do this all the time. We'll, we'll go somewhere and we'll do something. And, and all of a sudden, from the back seat, here comes this little voice. Well, Mommy, or well, Daddy, we, we should have done it this way. And it's like, little girl, you got about that much perspective in your tiny little lifetime. How are you telling me how it should have been? But don't we do that same thing with God? Hey, it should have been this way. <laughs> He's like, little boy, you got about that much perspective in your life to be telling me how things should have been. How do you respond to the opportunity of getting a second chance? Do you ride the wave of emotion that you've been forgiven and now you have a new opportunity and you ride that emotion for a little while, but eventually you fall back into the same habits that led you to needing a second chance in the first place? You see, it's, it's easy for us to try to do the right thing for a couple weeks, for a couple months. But the truth is, whatever is inside of us, if it doesn't truly change, it's going to spill out of us. Do you, do you mask what's going on in your life just so you can play the part that everything's going better? That you've made these changes. You, you'll actually see this over the next couple weeks in the life of Jonah. Jonah, Jonah's behaviors changed, but his heart never did. He did the right thing, but his heart was never in the right place. And we get caught up in all of this. And I, I wonder if for some of you, that's your story. You're trying to do the right thing, but your, your heart's never really changed. You're doing it because you feel like you're supposed to. You're reluctant to go all the way in. You, you, you just, you're doing just enough to get by. And this, this actually reminds me of an interaction with Jesus. Jesus came across this rich young ruler that approached him one day that was fired up. He was full of anticipation and excitement and he wanted wisdom from the Lord. And he comes to him in Mark chapter 10. And it says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. The man felt good about himself. Teacher, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. I love verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. He says, okay, there's still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Other translations talk about the fact that he owned much land. He was a landowner. He had tons of possessions. You see, this is important. He thought he wanted what Jesus was offering until he heard the cost. You see, the story is not about riches. The story isn't about land. This, the story isn't about rule following. It's about the fact that Jesus refused to compete for his heart. He refused to compete 
for his heart. And he understood, Jesus understood, as he, he looked on at him with genuine love, he, he sees him and he, he sees inside. He goes, something else has your heart and it's not me. So go and, and sell all of your possessions. Give it away to the poor and then come and follow me. Come and be with me. That's how you experience this eternal life that you want. The man leaves disappointed. Jesus was communicating to him and he's communicating to us. I shouldn't have to compete for your heart. I shouldn't have to compete to be at the center of your life. You see, when God brings an opportunity in our lives, it should drive us closer to him. It should elevate our understanding of his goodness, of his faithfulness. But more times than not, we respond with reluctance like the rich young ruler. Wait, 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 wait. I don't, I don't know about all of that. What, what do you mean? People get caught up in the story thinking that it was Jesus saying that you got to sell all of your possessions, you got to live in poverty. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Jesus was making it clear to this man, I'm not going to compete for your heart with that stuff. Get rid of it so that I can have your heart. But he was reluctant. He was reluctant to obey. In the couple minutes that we have left, I want to challenge you with four of the main reasons why we're reluctant, reluctant to obey. The first one is fear. Fear asks that question, what if I don't have enough? What if I don't have enough experience? What if I don't have enough preparation? What if I don't have enough finances? What if I don't have enough wisdom? What if I don't have enough connections? What if, what if I don't have the right personality? What if I don't know the right people and, and do the right things? What if I'm not enough? And our fear drives us to be reluctant in obeying God, reluctant to follow Jesus the way that we're supposed to. And for some of you, that fear is so great that it makes you even question the plan at all. God, what... I don't know what's on the other side of what you're wanting to do in my life. And so I'd rather just stay right here. I don't want to change. I'm not ready for that. Right? The second one is, is pride. You see, the rich young ruler followed the rules, but he refused to follow the Savior. Jesus says, hey, here, you know the commands, you know I know you do. Like you see the rich young ruler put his shoulders back. I do all of those things. But he was there for a reason. He was, if he was doing all of those things and still felt like something was missing, it's the reason why he ran up to Jesus and said, what do I have to do? He knew inside of him that following the rules wasn't enough. But he wasn't willing to follow the Savior. He was reluctant to do what needed to be done. You see, it becomes easier for us to justify our behaviors than it is to answer for our hearts. It's easier for us to just justify behaviors. Well, Jesus, look, I did all these good things. I, I honor my mother and my father. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I don't murder. I don't do, look at all the things that I'm doing. Look how good I am. Jesus said, yeah, I mean, that's cool. What about your heart? 
This is where us Christians get ourselves in trouble. We're, we're far more known for what we're against than what we're for. Everybody knows, oh, Christians hate these people, Christians hate those people, and they, they don't do this and they don't do that. We're known for what we're against, but we're rarely known for what we're for. Why? It's easier to justify our behaviors than it is to answer for our hearts. The third one is control. And this one really stuck with me this week, and we actually talked about it in our Connect group this week as a group. You see, we want control when we feel like someone is underperforming. We rarely want control in a situation when we feel like our leader is like absolutely crushing it. We want control when we feel like someone isn't living up to our expectations. Well, let me help you. Let me, it, it seems like this might be a little bit too much for you. Let me, let me help you get through the season. Let me just, I'll take over for you. You've done a great job so far. Let me handle this. We want control when we feel like someone's underperforming. So what does that say about our view of God? When you and I get to this place in our life where we're like, hey, God, let me, let me control this. Let me, let me just handle this one. It's not just that we want control. It's the fact that we think we might be able to do it better. It's the fact that we might, we might think that, you know, God, this one might be a little over your capacity. I mean, you got 7 billion people to worry about. I'll just take care of this one for me. We want control when we feel like someone's underperforming. That just, man, that hit me in the gut this week. God, I am so sorry that I dare question your ability to handle things. Of course, we'd never say that out loud. We'd never say, God, I think you're underperforming. But our behaviors, our actions, our mentalities give us the truth that we need to see. The last one is compromise. You see, choosing to be responsive to God exposes the area of our hearts where we've compromised. Those areas of our hearts, when, we, when we're responsive to God, when we allow him in, it exposes within us those areas that we've said, well, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, did you see the week that I had? I deserve to be able to do. You see the way I take care of them? I deserve to be able to get this. Listen, I just, you know, for me, it's just this one time. It's just once, Really? You see, when we allow God in, when we're responsive to his call, some of us are reluctant because we know once he's in, he's going to expose some areas of our life where we've compromised our faith, where we've compromised our standards, where we've compromised our principles, where we've compromised our relationship with him. And we know that if we respond to his call, it starts stepping out in the direction that he's called us to, that light's coming in, and we're, we're afraid where it might shine in our hearts. You see, the challenge for us today is where are you reluctant to obey God in your life right now? Where are you reluctant to obey him, to give him access? You see, when it comes to God, we, we try to minimize the impact of our obedience. We, it's just, 
well, God, it's just a small conversation. It's just a small step of faith. It's just a small step in my change of mindset. Why is that even that big of a deal? Like, I, I feel it when I'm here listening to the message, but I mean, it's really just not that big of a deal. It's not having that big of an impact. Here's the truth. The size of the assignment never determines the significance of its impact. The size of the assignment does not directly correlate to how impactful it's going to be. Well, God, it's only one conversation. You have no idea the ripple effect of that conversation. You have no idea the ripple effect of you humbling yourself in a moment and apologizing, humbling yourself in a moment to own, hey, I've been selfish in this season. Hey, I've, I've done this in this season. I've not been who I've needed to be for you in this season. We have no idea the ripple effects on the other side of that. The size of the assignment does not determine the size of its impact. We can't keep minimizing how important this obedience is. You see, Jonah's actions prove that he was a reluctant prophet. The actions of the rich young ruler prove that he was a reluctant follower. So what about you? Are you a reluctant leader? Are you a reluctant leader at your job? I just don't want to rock the boat. I don't, I don't want to. I just don't want to step on anybody's toes. Like, what about make things awkward? Are you a reluctant leader at home? Are you a reluctant leader in your friend group? Are you a reluctant spouse? Are you reluctant to do the things that you know you need to do? I know I need to do this to make my relationship better. Ah, I'll do it later. I'll do it another day. He doesn't deserve for me to do that. She doesn't deserve for me to do that. Are you a reluctant spouse? Are you a reluctant pursuer of your purpose? I know that there's some areas I need to humble in my life. I know there's some areas of my life that I be, need to be more transparent. I know there's areas in my life that I need to be more driven and more passionate and more intentional about how I'm doing things. But just, maybe just not right now. It's kind of a bad season for me. Really? When's a good one? When's a good season to be responsive to your call to have and live with purpose? If it's not today, I don't know when it's going to be. But we're reluctant to do it. Are you a reluctant follower of Jesus? Like the rich young ruler, you thought you wanted everything that Jesus had for you. You thought you wanted this life of following him and becoming more like him. But as you got deeper into it, you, you didn't realize what it was going to cost. So you reluctantly obey instead of being responsive to the call. Listen, I'll be honest with you, man. I've had seasons in this journey where I've been a reluctant pastor. Just be real with you. I didn't see this coming. This wasn't on the, on the, the, the vision board. I didn't see it coming. There's plenty, plenty of people in my life who said, oh, yeah, I saw that coming for you. Well, congrats for them. For me, I didn't. So do you know what that means? That means for me that I deal with some real insecurities. I deal with and, and I struggle with, with feelings like I'm letting people down on a pretty consistent basis. It means that I 
face these feelings of, of inadequacy. And after the season, the, the, the last couple of years that we've been through, there are plenty of moments that I feel under-resourced, under-qualified, under-prepared for what God is calling me to do. And I've been a reluctant pastor at times. And I'm not saying this because I, I want you to come and go, no, 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 you shouldn't feel it. It doesn't matter if you tell me I shouldn't feel that way. It's, it's what I, I wrestle with. It's what I deal with. I just want you to understand that you're not the only one in this boat. You're not the only one who faces these feelings of being reluctant instead of responsive to God's call. But what I do is every day I choose to show up and go, hey, God, I'm responding to your call today. You better show up. This is your plan. This is your idea. I'm showing up for it. I'm leaning in. I'm responding to your call. You better do what only you can do. I allow those feelings to drive me into the arms of my Heavenly Father. I choose to be an active participant in His call rather, rather than just like a reluctant attender. I refuse to be the kid in the group, group project that shows up just to get the attendance check but never actually contributes anything to the team. And I wonder if for you in your life, you just keep showing up because you want the attendance check. But it's time for you to make that switch in your life where you said, no, I'm not just going to be reluctantly here as a part of this group. I'm going to respond to God's call and I'm going to do something. And if that's you today, I would just challenge you to just simply pray, God, I'm here and I'm ready to respond to your call. I don't, I don't want to go through the motions like Jonah. I don't want to, I, I don't want to just get the easy answer like the rich young ruler. I want to be all in. I want to respond to your call and drop my pride and drop my fear and drop my need for control and drop those areas of my life that I've been compromising for something that's less than your best for my life. God, I'm responding to you instead of reluctantly just being here because I said a prayer someday. I believe as you do that, God is going to show up in a powerful and a mighty way in your life. When you choose to respond to his call, to respond in obedience, rather than to reluctantly just participate barely in this adventure he's calling you to. So if that's you today, I just want you to bow your heads right where you are. Close your eyes and just pray this simple prayer. Lord, I'm all in. I want to respond to your call. I don't want to reluctantly follow you. I don't want to reluctantly pursue my purpose. I don't want to be a reluctant leader, a reluctant spouse. I want to be one who responds to the purpose and the calling and the plan that you've placed in my life. God, I respond to you. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for the people who are hearing this, 
that maybe they haven't surrendered their life to you. Maybe they haven't asked you to be the leader of their life. Lord, I pray right now in this moment that you would give them the courage to pray that prayer of God. I am in. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that you have died on the cross and rose again for me. Lord, we respond to your call today. And we choose not to be reluctant in our obedience, but responsive in our faith. We pray all of this in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.